Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. It seems in this case that compliance was out of the loop. Mm. I mean, you needed to have a process where there was listening in on telephone calls so that compliance understood the process, how it was, was working in practice, um, that you actually had senior people who listened to those call logs and understood you know, how the, the product actually was being sold. And I don't think that that's happened. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Online and the GRC Professional Magazine. And today, once again, we have Naomi Burley, our Managing Director, and Carol Ferguson, our expert in all things regulatory. <laughs> Hi, Carol. Hi, Hi Naomi. Kwame. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking a bit about general advice versus personal advice. And there's definitely been some stuff coming out from the regulator on that. Can you talk a little bit more about what you wanted to cover? Uh, I guess what we wanted to cover is there have been a number of cases recently, most notably Westpac's um, case, and cover off this ground again around what's the difference between general and personal advice and some of the considerations that you might need to incorporate in your frameworks as well as your training of staff to... um, to meet community expectations around this because these are terms we bandy about all the time in financial services because we know what they mean, but does a customer really know what the difference is between general and personal advice and what level of service that means and what they need to take into consideration as well. So I'll hand over to Carol if she can give us a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a descriptor of what is that line that you cross between general and personal advice in practice as well as, you know, the theoretical. Okay. Um, Let's start from the Westpac Securities um, case because I think that's a reasonable starting point Um, and then follow through. So the fact situation was that Westpac offered a superannuation consolidation service and involved writing out to its customers but also following up with telephone calls. It was very, very successful. Um, the problem was that Westpac Securities did had a general advice only license rather than one that allowed them to give to give personal advice. And it was clear that on a number of occasions, and ASIC only gave 15 examples of them, but Westpac conceded that that was a, a reasonable um, uh, sort of summary as to what, what how they operated, that they actually did more than just provide Um, advice about the service itself. So ASIC went to court to seek declarations that um, Westpac had provided unlicensed personal advice, hadn't provided statements of advice and hadn't complied with the the personal advice best interest tests and nor that it had complied with its AFSL for the efficient, honest and fairly regulation. So the problem arises in, in the definition of what actually is personal versus general advice. And it's clear that there's been, for a very reasonable period of time, a lack of understanding as to where that that line lies and what are the sort of obligations on which si- on either side of it. People have been pushing the, the um, definition of general advice um, to a, a level that actually is not necessarily congruent with the, with the legislation. Okay, so what does the legislation say about general advice? The personal advice definition in the Corporations Act, Section 766, capital B, for those of us that want to be precise, has both a subjective and an objective limb. 
It provides that financial product advice is personal advice where it's given in circumstances where the provider has considered one or more of the customer's objectives, financial situation and needs or personal circumstances, which is the subjective limb, or that a reasonable person might expect that the provider has considered one or more of those matters. So any financial product that is not personal advice is general advice. So it's a, it's a fairly strong definition, but needless to say, people argue very strongly, and in Westpac's case they did as well, that um, you can provide a range of advice to people and dependent on, on their relationship with you, that can either be personal or general advice. Okay, so it sounds to me that there's a little bit of, um, a little bit of buy beware, because from the subjective point of view, You've issued a letter or you've issued a statement around something that you provide which just says, this is a really good thing. Yes. This would be super useful. You should have a look at it. Yes. And you haven't taken into account anything. On the other side of that equation is the person who goes, well, you sent me a letter. You gave me a call about this thing. That might mean that you think that I should use this thing. That's right. So this is where you get into a really grey area because yeah. I can understand from the organisation's point of view, they haven't taken into account any of your considerations that they know you've got a super account, say, in this example, mm. and you've probably got more and, than one. And the problem is, is that <coughs> the conversation should have just been, have you received our letter? We recommend you see a financial advisor to discuss it. Right. But unfortunately, it went further. And... You know, they, they said things like, we recommend that people in your circumstances would consider consolidation okay, of so superannuation. Your key words here are recommending. Yes. So making reference to any kind of circumstance. Yes. Having a conversation where the person on the other end of the phone might discuss their personal circumstances yes. with you. Um, and again, we're in a call centre environment. Are any of these people trained to actually have those conversations? Well, especially given the fact that Westpac Securities didn't have a personal advice um, permission, it actually meant that the people who were on the phone actually only knew about general advice. And the trouble is, is that the circumstances of a call centre and and the sort of revving up of people to make a requisite number of phone calls in a period of time, etc., and get and results sales and sales targets can actually mean that people blur what their obligations are in order to achieve the sales target. Okay. If I might ask a question, sorry. Um, the, the phrasing of people in your circumstances, um, couldn't it be argued from the entity's point that that in its sense is being general since it said people in your circumstances as opposed to you? I think that was what they argued. Yeah. That's what they argued. <laughs> but unfortunately, it, right? yeah, the wondering. court said, it said otherwise, and it said that the word considered, as in I considered your personal yeah. circumstances, refers to an active process of evaluating or reflecting upon the subject matter of the consideration appropriate to the provision of financial product advice, right. i.e., I've determined that you are a person who is in a particular category of people, mm. and that itself then puts it into the personal advice category. All right, so let's go back. <clears throat> what is, what can you actually say when you're giving general financial advice? Well, the judge in the case talked about what a reasonable person would want to have. Um, and so you have to have that the advisor hadn't considered the person's personal circumstances. So, the so call, they have to say that? Yes. Well, in their mind. So the call isn't preceded by the customer providing information about their personal circumstances. 
the customer hasn't sought personal advice, the customer isn't paying for the service, the customer has had no previous relationship with the advisor and was not known to the advisor, and the content of and tone of each call involved a general advice warning and clear indications that the advisor lacked knowledge of the details of the customer's financial situation. Okay, so if you if you caveat the entire conversation with the customer yeah. that I know nothing about you, but here is this great product, yes. you might keep yourself within the yeah. parameters. I mean, you, you don't want to say I know nothing about you, but you can say, look, I'm ringing about our letter that we've sent to you. Um, I can't provide you with with um, personal financial advice. However, um, I can say to you that we recommend that you see an advisor to discuss the circumstances of your consolidation. What the aim of this, they, what Westpac actually wanted for its employees was that they actually closed the sale. Mm -hmm. And in closing the sale, they then had to have reference to a client's personal circumstances because I wouldn't recommend consolidation for everyone. Right. So, so this, unfortunately, that closed the that's loop. That's right. So the fact that you would say, how many superannuation accounts do you have? Once you've got that information. And once you've got that information, you've crossed the line. Because it may be that one of them may have been with a, an industry fund and that the rate that you were getting from the industry fund was better than the rate that you well, got from Westpac. Well, even then, you've gathered information But you've gathered information person. and you understand something about the person or the person says to you oh look I'm going to retire in 10 years time personal information mm. and unless you caveat entirely at the beginning of the conversation and even after the sales process has ended that you say before you you actually affect the sale mm. you acknowledge that in providing this um, proceeding with this that we have not provided you with personal advice I still but that's think, very difficult yes. because the rationale because all you're doing is is saying words, but if yeah. the actuality is that the conversation on the on the was on the a personal one, yeah. then you've got a problem. Yeah. I think this is where this is a really grey area for users. Yes. We all know that people have poor financial knowledge. We all know that they're not even using their financial advisors to the best of their ability, no. even when they've got them. Um, so this is one where, do you think that caution is be the best way to err? Because uh, you know, you've got the interest of the client to consider, you've got the parameters of your license to consider, yes. and um, you know, maybe there need to be some clearer markers and training around, you don't go beyond this point. Look, I think there's a couple of interesting things that come out of it. From my perspective, it's about who makes the phone call. Um, was Westpac Securities call centre the right place for the call to, to emanate from? Or should it have actually gone back to, ne, to an advisor? Or if you had an orphan client, back to an advisor who was being nominated for you? So that at the very commencement of that process, you actually had somebody who was authorised to provide personal financial advice. Mm. So it's an interesting one as to why it is that they gave it to a call centre versus an advisor. And that's not clear from the case. Um, or Maybe, but I, you know. Well, I think I think any business in that thing might make a business-based decision that it's cheaper to oh, give it course. to a call centre. Immensely cheaper, and there are no issues in relation having to give commission mm. payments in relation to the sale either. So I can understand the the reasons. And look, Westpac made a lot of money from doing this. This wasn't something that, you know, they they didn't do with some degree of success. I mean, 
it seems as if, hang on, if I can get the right number, $640 million was rolled into into BT super accounts in a period of, of under th- three years. Mm. So it's, a, it's obviously been a very powerful campaign which has resulted in very positive aspects for them. Unfortunately, it hasn't necessarily conformed with, with good compliance outcomes. And we can't be certain then in each and every case it's no. also met the interests of the client. No, and, and I think possibly when you're looking at consolidation service and the fact that customers may indeed have other superannuation accounts that Westpac may not have been aware about but became aware about through the telephone processes that you actually should have stopped then and said, we'll refer you to a financial advisor for further consideration of that. But that's not what happened. So hot lessons for everybody um, is you, your call centre may not be the best place to send this these things yep. to. It's understandable that you want to get the service and the information about the service out there, but that may not be the best way to do, or they have really strict parameters around that and they're really, really, really well trained. I think, let's start with the last point. I think it's training, training, training. And it seems in this case that compliance was out of the loop. I mean, you needed to have a process where there was listening in on telephone calls so that compliance understood the process, how it was was working in practice, um, that you actually had senior people who listened to those call logs and understood, you know, how the the product actually was being sold. And I don't think that that's happened. Mm. Um, You know, Westpac has, you know, there's a number of indications that, that, you know, the their focus on compliance has not been as good as what it could be but you know this is just one example of where compliance needs to be involved in the process from day one Mm -hmm. not just in the setting of the scripts although that's incredibly important but also in the delivery of it and workshopping various scenarios that apply to the script Mm -hmm. so if you're going to send people out to make significant phone calls you know, to a number of customers, mm. then you need to workshop very carefully who, who's likely, what's going to happen in the process of the what's telephone calls. What's an unintended calls. consequence exactly. of, of this action? Yeah. So the compliance people are actually going to be the devil's advocates in it. Mm. They're not necessarily ticking it off, but they're making certain that the processes it goes through, people are, under, are understanding the nuance. Mm. And the trouble with personal advice is it's quite nuanced. It's quite nuanced. And, you and whether it sits within the parameters of your licence, whether you're actually yes, allowed to exactly. have conversations at a certain point. And, and if you only have a general advice licence, then you're going to have to guard yourself very, very carefully to ensure that you do not stray into the personal advice space. So it's not just training once. It may be for call centre staff that you train on a quarterly basis because the turnovers in in, um, staff of of call centres is relatively high. Mm -hmm. So you need to capture new staff and you need to ensure that at any one time, everyone in your call centre understands what general versus personal advice has workshopped that through in a number of scenarios and every time they approach a a customer through the telephone, they're not wanting to know about the customer's circumstances. And the problem is, is that people who go into call centres are generally warm people who like interacting with people and they want to help. And the trouble is in trying to help people is where you can get into the personal advice space. Mm -hmm. And much as it's, it's 
not um, a good outcome for them in their personal sort of enjoyment of their roles, they really need to understand that helping customers can actually mean stepping back. Yeah, and handing it over to someone yes. who's qualified to do that and licensed to do That's that. That's right. Okay. Look, thank you, Carol. I know there's a lot more on this subject and we're going to be doing one of our Fast 25 recorded webinars on this to sort of map this out for people, um, especially uh, concentrating on that training aspect and the information flows. This is again another point in the business system where compliance may not necessarily be invited into the tent and it's really, really valuable for businesses to have them come in, check it's all going to work and keep checking in periodically as a second line um, resource that it's all still happening the way it's meant to happen. And it comes under, and the, the critical thing is that if anyone says, oh, it's not a role for compliance, just remember section 912A, which basically says that you have to have the systems, processes and people, and you have to deliver your services efficient, honestly and fairly. Efficiently, honestly and fairly goes to your ethical obligations in relation to your clients, and systems and processes goes into the way that you train your front line operatives to ensure that they're delivering the licensed services. So if somebody objects to what you're doing, just, you know, you actually have right on your side. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Carol and Naomi. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.